What's going on, everyone? I'm Paul from the Loader High Podcast, and in this week's episode, I interview the assistant coach of the St. Albans School and the founder of Coach Santee Lacrosse, Mike Santos. Before moving down to Virginia, Mike was the assistant coach at New Canaan High School under Chip Buzio. He uh, won a couple state titles, won a couple FCAC titles during his time there. Mike also coached a bunch of face-off guys in the surrounding area, and he sent dozens of kids to go play at the D1, D2, and D3 levels. Along with being down in Virginia and helping at the St. Albans School, Mike is helping out at the new club program called Next Level. Uh, he keeps on telling me every single time I speak to him that he's really optimistic about how good this club program is going to be, so I'm really excited to see what he has in store for that. Uh, during our episode, Mike and I talked about his time at New Canaan, how, uh, how much he loved coaching there and the community and brotherhood that that program gave him. Uh, we also talked about the new face-off changes, face-off rule changes that occurred in the NCAA, and we kind of just broke that down a little bit and just like seeing how he thinks some of the college, uh, college teams and how college crowds can be played in the hopeful upcoming 2021 season. Make sure to go follow Mike on Instagram, at Coach underscore Santee, and I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Mike Santos, welcome to the Lord of High Podcast. How you doing, man? Paul, thanks for having me, man. Excited to be here. How's everything with you? Going good, going good. You know, Thanksgiving's coming up. Looking forward to that. Happy that my family's going to be here. All my family's going to be here. You know, my brother came in from California, so really excited to have him here. How about you? What are your plans for Thanksgiving? Uh, you know, obviously with COVID, it kind of stinks. You know, I won't be seeing too much family, but uh, me and my girlfriend are going to head back up north, going to go back home to Stanford, Connecticut, and uh, spend some time with my mom, Pa, and her parents as well, and uh, I'll keep it low-key for the most part. Just going to be us six, we'd say. Do you like turkey or just all the other sides on Thanksgiving? So here's my thing about Thanksgiving is it's so funny, and I get a lot of, a lot of junk for this, is that I'm not a big Thanksgiving guy just because growing up, moms made it five, six times a year, the dinner. So it's kind of just like any other dinner and it's watching football and like any other Sunday, it's obviously, you know, playing football with the boys on the, in the morning is obviously great. And then, you know, enjoying time with family is great, but Thanksgiving dinner itself isn't, you know, the greatest thing for me. I'm a big Christmas guy. Love Christmas. See, we already got the Christmas tree up in the apartment here. <laughs> See, you like the seafood Thanksgiving, Christmas Eve? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We're getting the seven fishes going. Absolutely. We're getting Love it going. Love it. See, my thing about Thanksgiving is that always after after the dinner like at night or like the day after you have the leftovers it's just slap they're so good like so here's the thing on that that's beautiful is that the next day we take all the leftovers of thanksgiving a little hack for you we take the, all the leftovers and we take like wontons right and we put them all in these wontons we fry them up and we make these stuffed thanksgiving wontons and they're absolutely delicious and they're the best thing the day after thanksgiving you dip them in gravy okay Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So like instead of jelly, sorry, jelly. What kind of jelly? Well, like the cran, not jelly. The cranberry, oh, cranberry, the cranberry, 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 the cranberry, cranberry, cranberry sauce. Cranberry sauce is so misleading. It's jelly. It's not really a sauce if you really think about it. It's made out of gelatin. It, it, it's jelly. It's jelly. It's if true. we're getting down to it, it's basically jello. Gravy, gravy is the sauce. Gravy's the best sauce. Like you could possibly have. Absolutely, you could put it on anything. Fries. You ever had disco fries? delicious i mean i'm a bit i love poutine 
that is just my go-to. I mean, whenever I have the opportunity to get it, I will just snag it. It is just, you know, anything gravy, gra- gravy on anything, gravy and cheese on anything is delicious. Let's be real. You know, gravy and cheese are like dynamic duo of anything. So, Mike, uh, you moved down to the DMV. Uh, you're living in Virginia right now. Uh, how is it like instead of being in uh, Connecticut? You know, we're finally adjusted. Um, you know, we moved here about three months ago, me and my girlfriend. Um, it has been, you know, obviously with COVID a little difficult. Um, but now that we're adjusted, you know, having a little bit more friends down here, knowing the whole job schedule, having a team to coach, and, you know, being able to play a – a full fall ball schedule was obviously very good as well because, you know, it got me back into coaching, obviously missing this past spring. Um, so, you know, got some fulfillment out of that, which was, uh, which was exciting. You get a sense of normalcy for being in the classroom. Yeah. You know, I, I think the kids are getting back into it. Um, you know, when, when you speak to them, it, it, it depends. Well, it, let's, let's actually go back. Obviously it depends on where you're at because some places are still, online as you and I both know. Um, so it really, you know, these kids are, it's really a difficult time. That's just the best way to put it, you know, yeah. talking about the whole situation with these kids, it's, it's very unfair to how or what they're dealing with right now. Um, I knew if I was a junior and senior in high school right now, I know we talked to a lot of those guys in that 20 class and, you know, they definitely feel robbed, um, you know, because they didn't get that opportunity to, play their senior season and have a shot at a championship, which at wherever you are from, whichever state or whichever area you're representing, you know, it, it's tough across the country, you know? So. Yeah, for sure. I mean, some kids I know, uh, MIAA got a couple of games in, but like New York got nothing and got a couple of practices. Some didn't even get to practice. My team didn't even get to practice. So, you know, mm. it's tough. It's tough. It's a very tough pill to swallow. Yeah. Anyways, what are you, uh, what are some favorite things for being down there? Favorite thing since I've been down here. Whew. Definitely top golf is number one. Um, I love playing golf. It's funny. I always say to my friends for the amount that I play, uh, I should be a stud, but I'm absolute garbage. <laughs> I mean, when I, when I go to up with my buddies, it's not even a, a competitive round for me. It's just kind of, I'm there for the laughs and the fun, obviously just kind of, enjoying hitting some balls. I'm, I'm God awful. I mean, it's, it's just terrible. <laughs> um, so I'd say top golf has been one, obviously, you know, moving down here, you know, you got crab, 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 which has been fantastic. Um, but the go-to spot, whew, that's tough. Probably going down to DC Harbor. Uh, there's all these bunch of different restaurants. And then obviously you got the big seafood market right there, which is sweet. So you come home with some, talk about seven fishes and you come home with some delicious grub there. So as an Italian man, you know, that sounds nothing better than me and to stuff my face with some, you know, crab legs, some, uh, some nice fish and some scallops. That doesn't sound, sounds pretty good for dinner right now too. So. Yeah, of course, of course. Uh, since my brothers both went down to college in the DMV, we always went to this, uh, restaurant in DC. I think it was in the Georgetown neighborhood. It's a Neapolitan style pizzeria called two Amy's. You ever heard it? Absolutely. Yes. We've already been there. It is a great spot. You know, I will say on that note, you know, obviously moving down here, you know, growing up on Long Island and then living in Stanford, Connecticut for a hot minute, it is definitely been tough eating pizza down here. It has just been nothing close. Um, you know, the best pizza that I have found is essentially called 92nd Pizza. 
and it's a chain place or mod. And these are both chain places. And it's kind of like, uh, what is it? Uh, what is it? So it's not like, what's the place up by us? Uh, I can't you say Don that, Pepe. Yeah, you could say Don yeah, Pepe. Yeah, like Don Pepe is exactly like that. And, you know, it gets the job done, but mm-hmm. there's nothing like a, a, a beautiful up north, delicious pizza. Of course. You know, the thing about why New York pizza and like New York bread and New York bagels is so good is because of the water. Because New York gets the water straight from the aqueducts and it's straight like mountain water. It's the purest water you're going to get on earth. And that water makes such a difference. Like no matter where you go, like pizzerias and bagel places, even out West, like import water from New York just to get that water because it's so pure and so good. So when I say that exact story down here, people look at me like I'm crazy and they're like, shut up, just get out of here with that crazy stuff. So go to Long Island and have a traditional bacon, egg, and cheese, and a half and half, and then come talk to me after you've had that. After you've had that, and anywhere, literally any other, any, anywhere, 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 New York City, Brooklyn, go. Queens, yes, yes, anywhere. Yeah. All right, so Mike, let's start off with a couple of basic questions. So, where are you originally yeah. from? So, I am originally from Manhattan, Long Island. I grew up in Manhattan on Long Island. Um, graduated in 2014. Um, Played there under Coach Bill Cherry for a little bit, um, and then out of high school, uh, my family actually moved up to Connecticut, where I actually just began my coaching career right out of high school. Uh, I started coaching under Chip Bozio at New Canaan in high school, uh, local top twenty-five every year public high school. Um, they do an unbelievable job of sending out talent, so I was very lucky again to learn under Chip Bozio the last six years before kind of making this switch down to, uh, down to the DMV. Yeah. Uh, so incorporate to incorporate the name of the podcast. Uh, what were some of your, uh, lows while, uh, lows while coaching at New Canaan or playing at Minahasset high school? This could be like a bad loss, a missed pass, uh, you know, an injury. What do you think that would be for you? I guess the low for me, and me and Coach Buzz still talk about this to this day, is that in my five, six seasons of being at New Canaan, I never beat Darianne as a coach at the varsity level. Um, as a coach, as your rival, uh, you know, you want to beat those guys every single time. And obviously Jeff Braymeyer, hats off to him. He does a great job in coaching those, those Blue Wave boys. And obviously I have nothing but respect for them. have a few Blue Wavers in my life as well, and I love each one of them. Um, but, you know, it, it's been obviously very haunting, I will say, uh, to know that as a coach, I've never beaten them. As a player, I've beaten them my share in youth and obviously in high school. Um, but as a coach, never have beaten them. And that was, uh, that was pretty tough. Yeah, I know. I've seen some of those photos and videos from that uh, New Canaan Darien game. You get six, 7,000 people in the stands for that one oh. game. A lot oh, yeah. of people. It, it's it's honestly you know we you know being a part of that was special you know you play eight top twenty five opponents a year but that was you know you circled that one on your calendar um, you know you knew that there were tickets being sold for that game thirty days in advance that's how big the game was I mean you know there was probably twenty Division one players in the game on both sides obviously it, it, it's just a star studded game and to be a part of that was just so special. Same thing as like being in Manhattan and playing in the Woodstick Classic every year against Garden City. It, it just it's unmatched. It, it, playing your rival, your crosstown rival, is something so special, and you can't you, you can't you can't beat it. You really can't. 
<laughs> Obviously, unfortunately, no pun intended, didn't get to beat that rival as a coach. You know, no, not a single seat. I saw photos from that game, not a single seat open. That is crazy. And New, New Canaan has like what? It could seat like 15,000 people sometimes. Uh, like ten, probably if you we roll in stands typically for these big games, so it'll be about like ten thousand people if you if you can get in a good amount, you know, so it fits in a good good amount of people, which is nice. Obviously, More, people yeah. standing up, sitting on their cars. Uh, yeah, it, it it gets pretty rowdy there. More than like majority of college games, probably, probably. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you you get a good Brunswick New Canaan game, a good Darien New Canaan game. It, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be serious under the lights. It's gonna be big. It's gonna be big for sure. Uh, you know, going with the lows, what have been some of your highs uh, while coaching or playing lacrosse? Highs for me, I mean, you know, obviously terrible to say, you know, didn't get to coach my seniors in the 20 season, but still ended my career as a New Canaan coach as a 2019 FCX championship. That is still to this day the greatest accomplishment as a coach for me. Uh, it was a very special group of boys that we did it with, a very great staff of just men. Obviously, Coach Buzio led the way, and it was just a very special year. You know, a lot of people did not expect that to happen, um, and it was a classic Wilton New Canaan final in the FCF Championship, and we were able to sweep away by one, and it was definitely one of the most special moments in my coaching career, for sure. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. Also, another game. So many people are going. That's that's not even. Where's that? That's that was hosted in Norwalk, Norwalk, right? That's in a. It's at a high school in Norwalk called Brian McMahon, and uh, you know, again, it's a lot of standing room. But you know, you're you're packing the place out. Good, you know, five thousand people will show up. You know, a lot of college coaches will come up from you know south out west just to come watch the FCAC playoffs. That's how serious this this tournament is. And you know, like I said, to win it, it's very very special. It's very hard to do and. Like I said, hats off to Darian because they've done it for so many years. This last ten years, they they really had the diamond. They they ran the diamond. Just the best way to say it. Yeah. So touching a little bit on New Canaan a little bit more. Um, you know what what was what made New Canaan so strong? Was it the youth program? Was the connection with the coaches? What do you think in your in your experience being there for so long? You know, the first thing that it's one word: it's family. Um, you know, the first day that I. Got the job at New Canaan. It was uh, very, you know, met Bozio, talked across for maybe 20 minutes, and then I was in his office maybe for two and a half hours just talking to him about just life and how the lacrosse team works. And it wasn't at all a very coach-player relationship in my six seasons there. It was, it was a brotherhood, right? Every single guy that I worked with, on a personal relationship, on a personal level, it, it, it wasn't, we, we were able to talk to each other outside of lacrosse. It wasn't just X's and O's and how to shoot the ball. It was, you know, they could come to us if they had problems or if we felt that they weren't doing something correct, we were able to have a good conversation with them and be honest with them. And that, that's something special that you don't find in many places. You know, most of these places just kind of want to use you for your name and just get you out. And they don't want to, they don't really care about you. You know, they just care about where you're going or what you're doing. And they don't really care about the development where, we start these kids in basically preschool or the immediate moment they're allowed to walk. I mean, I remember doing Saturday and Sunday morning box sessions with, you know, basically kindergartners and preschoolers. And these are kids that are hitting BTB shots, you know, hitting floaters, you know, doing things that are advanced because, you know, it's a hyper competitive town that wants to succeed in the sport. And like I said, Chip Buzio built, 
the family kind of message from graduation day of your senior year down to the minute you pick up a lacrosse stick in the new candy program. I mean, he has his head and hand in every single grade, period. From all the way from, like I said, graduation day to the day that you pick a lacrosse stick in your hand, he is in, he knows what, who you are. He knows your name. He's just, he's more than a lacrosse coach. That's what makes the, the whole program so special. And obviously you talk about the guys around him that support him. It's a bunch of guys that have played the sport, obviously in the late nineties, early two thousands and they're lacrosse dads now. So they obviously help out in the town program as well, which is great. The one thing that I will say that I miss, obviously kind of on a side note is that down here, as you and I both know, youth lacrosse is a huge thing. The Connie championship every year is huge. Shout out to my fifth grade team. Two years ago, we won the Connie championship, Connie championship beat Darian, which was sweet. Um, and then, you know, you come down here to the DMV and it's irrelevant. It's just straight club lacrosse. It doesn't exist really club or youth of town, youth lacrosse. It's, it's, it's something that's kind of sad in that sense that you don't have the, necessary opportunity to build a program as much in the youth it's more reliant on club obviously there's more kind of private boarding schools around here as you would say so that's probably more or less where the kids are going to go if they're more talented to lacrosse um you know obviously there are a few studs in the in the public schools uh, there will always be but the really talented players do typically play in these you know iac wcac schools down here in the dmv yeah, I think what makes like New York and Long New York, Connecticut, Long Island, New Jersey lacrosse so special is that a lot of these players still play for their town. You know, there's a lot of good private schools up north, but there are such such strong like public school teams that always compete and always have players that are just so committed to bringing their team to like to the to where they want to be, whether it's a state championship, taking down a nationally ranked team. That I think you can't like you can't replicate that kind of brotherhood with you know, a private school. I don't know if I'm wrong or not, but you know, you've been playing with these kids since kindergarten and it's just tough. To, it's tough to recreate that in my sense. Yes and no. Um, I will kind of state this as well. You know, growing up on Long Island, I stand by it. Long Island lacrosse, the best cross period of the story. Uh, you know, there's no argument that you can have with me about it. It's just, you know, they just do it better. Um, but since I've moved down here, I will say the IAC or is, you know, a pretty darn close second. You know, you have schools like Georgetown Prep, Bolus, Landon, you know, obviously they're not in the IAC, but Gonzaga, St. John's. I mean, the schools down here are elite, are elite. And we talk about that brotherhood kind of mentality. The coaches at those schools do an unbelievable job in installing that into these kids' minds. And in that sense, it is kind of like a St. Anthony's or a Shamana where you're buying into something where you know that this is a factory, this is a sports factory, and we're trying to do something special here, and you're coming here to win. Um, you know, obviously myself, I'm coaching in the IAC right now at St. Albans, you know, playing in this league, you're playing every game, 15, 20 Division One lacrosse players on the opposite side of an opposing team. Um, it, it is that serious of lacrosse. Um, and since I've moved down here, you can see that obviously it didn't develop as quickly as the up north places did. But now I would say that the IAC players are just as good, if not as great, you know, 
as these up north, Connecticut, as you said, Connecticut, New York, Long Island, you know, Boston, Pennsylvania players. Mm-hmm. Do you think when you got down, when you started coaching down in uh, down at St. Albans, you were a little overwhelmed by like the more individual talent that you saw in players? It's a good question. Um, you know, I think that you know in the area that I was coaching, and I was in New Canaan, and you know it too. You know, some of the greatest players, of, you know, in college, and you look at Michael Krause, um, you know. Arden Cohen or Darianne, some, some of the greatest players have come out of that area. Um, so when you talk about talent up there, it's obviously been there. And then down here, it still exists. But I think it's just more of an expectation, if you would say. You know, you're not kind of – it's not like, whoa, he, he did it. Or, you know, it, it, every year you're expected to have three or four guys – at your school that will go be playing serious division one cross. I mean, we looked at, I was, I'm not going to list names, but right off the bat, I mean, you look at some of the best players in college across, across division one to division three, IFC's players are leading some of these conferences in their respective positions. It, it's just, it's crazy. Um, you know, adjusting to the whole kind of different setting in a play style in that question, yes, it has been very interesting because I will say it's a little bit faster down here where I'll say it's up north. It's a little bit more creative. There's a lot of athletes and a lot, a lot of big, big, big boys down here that will just, you know, that just pass the eye tests that are six foot four, six foot five, just monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think about the factor of, you know, team chemistry, like with the up north public school teams? Uh, or like the individual play, like players' uh, ability, you know, maybe you see in, you know, more of the private school teams kind of overpower, like just team chemistry as a whole. You know, I'm trying to think of a good analogy. Uh, you know, like miracle on ice, like like chemistry over just pure ability. What do you think about that? I mean, like I said before, um, you know, at the end of the day, chemistry does be talent in my opinion um you know i look at that 2019 new canon team we were good we were not great but we got the job done uh, because it was a group of seniors that wanted to lead and wanted to win and they found a way to win and they found a way to do it when the time came around and they got it done that's just that's what you can't really teach in those kind of moments when you have you know say you know, the Maryland, the Johns Hopkins, North Carolina and Duke stuff on your team that's only been playing together for two years where Benny and John have been playing together since first grade. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. I, I'd like to go more in depth about that later, but it's just, mm-hmm. I'd like to study that almost to see how like, how like playing with each other longer works. Like obviously there are studies about that, but like just overall team chemistry and ability it's just like a whole other dimension of the sport that you never really think about. And so it'd be cool if I, like you could do a study about that, just like learning, like watching, reviewing a lot of film on that stuff. So, you know, it's something for another time to discuss about, but let's talk about the meat and potatoes of this episode. So Mike, I think, uh, I'm sure, you know, you're probably the top face off guy, uh, top face off coach in the country. You know, you've sent dozens of kids to go play college ball at the highest level. And I think you more know you, probably know the most about all the stuff that's going on, especially in the face-off world. You know, the recent rule changes in May. Um, you know, what were your initial thoughts about that? 
I think that as an athlete, you have to be willing to adapt. And I think for the guys that sat around and moped and cried and pouted about it, it showed. And for the guys that wanted to work, they succeeded and got it done. Um, I was excited about it personally. Um, for me, I love the face-off position as a coach, but I do agree in the sense that we do need to speed up the game a little bit more. We can't, I know that, you know, we, we try to, we're going to keep trying to change the position to, you know, eliminate tie-ups or whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's never going to happen, right? Whatever they are trying to eliminate is never going to happen because kids are just going to find a way to make that continuously a grind or, you know, pure dominance, right? We were trying to eliminate the TD Erlins of the world who can just go 98% of the game. It's still going to happen. It is. It, it, it's just, these are, this is sports. These are competitive kids. These are young men that want to succeed both in the classroom and on the field. And they're going to do whatever it takes. I mean, I can't, I'm not going to list names, but some of the boys that I've coached in college that have relentless drive, they didn't complain once. They didn't bat an eye when I said it to them. I said, hey, rules change. Hour later, we were taking face off standing up. You know, it, 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 it's, it comes down to how badly do you want it? I know it's a very cliche thing to say, but if you can't adapt and change to new things, then you'll never be successful in any sport or realistically, you know, any, anything. You have to be willing to adapt. And that's the most important thing in life. You know, I was just a little confused on why they would think it would like eliminate tie-ups. Going into like the technicalities of it, you know, you were watching. You were you're huge in the summer circuit. I mean, I felt like there were a little bit more tie-ups, wouldn't you say? You know that that was that was the funniest thing about it to me. Um, you know, they sit here, the committee sits here and says, you know, we're trying to get rid of the tie-up, and every single game I went to personally that I watched. There were well over 10 tie-ups game. Um, you know, I coach a team. I coach with an organization down here called Next Level, and I coach the 22 group, uh, which is the group that is obviously being recruited very heavily right now. And I'm at a tournament two weeks ago. I'm watching one face-off between one of my students and uh, another team, and it went well beyond a minute. <laughs> I mean, it was literally just a stale lock at and just going around and around like a clock. And it was, it just proved to me that if anything, there's been more tie ups, personally. Um, so they can continue to keep changing the position. They can keep adding funky rules. People are going to find the loophole. People are always going to find their way to get better at this position and be successful at it. Yeah, especially at a face, position like the face offs, where if you have two guys equal strength and equal hand speed, like they're just going to stalemate each other. They're just going to cancel out, and then you're just going to get this lock up, lock up. They're going to stay at the ball fifty fifty for well over a while. No one's going to give up on that. You're going to have more tie ups, and you're going to have more. You're going to. It's just going to slow the game down, like in general. I mean, I think like knee down face offs. Even when you saw a tie up, it would never be more than a minute. Wouldn't you agree? I think it was. If there was a tie up, it was less than. 15 seconds, you know, at most. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, that obviously, look, were there guys who are more dominant than, than the other? Absolutely. Um, but with that also being said, you know, 
it's just again it's all it's it's inevitable it's inevitable that's just the way to say it you know and there has been well, well we'll we'll go back a little bit when we look at old we'll go back into the early 2000s when everybody was stand up face off guy and you look at back then these long long face offs would happen then too and then everyone switched back down to knee down and now it's you know shorter face offs guys are getting quick easy pinch and pops then they go back to the stand up again now and we're back to long face offs yeah yeah i mean you almost think like what if they went back to the rules change before 2014? Would it change the game that much, do you think? You know, like I said, if, if you want to work, then you're going to get it done. Yeah. You know, if it goes back to the way it, it was, someone's just going to figure it out again, right? Those guys who were dominant then are going to continue to dominate. Um, you know, a lot of coaches have spoken to me and they've all asked the biggest thing is, you know, do you think that by changing this rule or changing it again, is it going to solve our problems? And I stand by it. It's not. It's not. You can sit here and keep rewriting the rule book and, and, and you know, keep doing that. It, it's, it's just never going to solve anything. And these boys are going to continue to dominate at the position and they're going to work hard, you know, and no matter which way you switch it, even if you go back to knee down. I heard on a podcast, someone was trying to explain it. I forget where it was, but there was the thing, like, there was, like, the also, like, the thing saying, like, not only face-off guys can take the face-offs. I, like, I don't think that's true whatsoever. I think even if you're a guy that's never stepped up, uh, taken a face-off before and you're going against a guy who's taken some face-offs, he will dust you. He will take you out of the game. Your team will lose every single face-off because people don't think, oh, just stand, like taking a stand-up neutral group face-off doesn't look like it has a lot of technicality to it, like the knee down. It might have even more because there's so many different ways you can still do it, and there's so many different variations than there were to the knee down face-off. I just don't – I just – it's it's just tough to wrap my head around too. So I hope you know like where I'm trying to go. Like. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just not making, it just doesn't, it's still making it like as, uh, as technical as, as it was before. I think, you know, it does make it more of an athlete's game. I think that this is the one thing that I was trying to get into before that I could kind of dance around. I love the face-off position. I absolutely dislike the typical FOGO. Um, if you've ever worked with me or, you know, the guys that I've worked with, they're all capable of doing so much more. And it's not me saying that I don't work with everybody, but if you're not willing to do more than just face off, I'm sorry. It, it's going to be very tough, especially with the, the shot clock only depleting more and more. They're going to keep taking seconds off. Let's be real. I mean, the PLL right now is what it is. 60 second shot clock yeah 60 second shot clock even before so goalie saves it 60 seconds like you have 60 seconds to get down to the field and score exactly so in that point i feel like the college game is only going to be there sooner or later um so if you can't catch and throw and pick up a ground ball but you can clamp and count that as a win for yourself that's fine but like i said if you want to succeed at the next level you have to do so much more. You really do. I mean, we look at some of these successful guys, the Joe Nardellas of the world, 
the, you know, Jake Withers. Uh, you know, these guys are dominated post face-off whistle. I think, I don't know his stats off the top of my head, but I'm sure the guy had like seven or eight goals and a couple apples on the side. Joe Nardella, the PLL, he was up for MVP candidate, you know, because the guy can do so much more. You know, you look at Jake Withers, the kid was just an absolute Swiss army knife. If he lost the face-off, he would just come and take your money's worth. He'd come get it back. So I think that guys like that, the more of kind of, you know, technicians, 110%, but more Swiss Army knives need to need to kind of emerge in this game, especially if that's where the game is trying to go. I think people always have a stereotype, like you said, just face-off guys, no stick skills, can only clamp down on a ball. I think mm-hmm. in 10 years, if we stay at the rule change we do and nothing changes, you're going to see face-off guys are going to be the best athletes on the field because they're going to have to do so much more. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that if, you know, the PLL continues to go the way it is, you know, we look at what Joe Nardella did. Like, I know that I'm keep, keep going back to the guy, but it, it, it just, it set the bar. It set a bar. And if you can't do that, it's going to be very hard for you to succeed. I mean, you look at some of these poles now, they're, you know, six foot six and have footwork of great middle linebackers and will tee you off with one hit. If you can't avoid them and you can't handle the rock, it can be very hard for you to get the ball into the offensive zone. And that 65 percentage that you had is now slowly just going to start trickling down because you can't handle it. You're 100% right. I just want to quote what Quinn Kesnick said right before he, uh, right before, right after the faceoff rule saying, like going back to what we're saying, is he said, keep the faceoff. Just keep the face. It's good. It's part of the game, but eliminate the FOGO. I agree. You know, I, I think that. You know, the young man that I'm training now here at St. Albans, uh, he does such a great job of outside of us taking face-offs together. It's going to do one-on-ones, two-on-twos with his teammates, working on his ground balls, hitting the wall, you know, doing ground balls in thick grass, you know, going up against some of the best poles in the country, doing that, all that. That's important. That's yeah. important. And when the time comes for recruiting, and these college coaches are going to look at that guy's like, yeah, he's winning, you know, 55%. Yeah, he's not winning 75 like that kid, but at least can handle the rock. And that kid is winning 75% is getting stripped and turning over the ball at least four times a game. That's not good. That's not what you want. Because those four turnovers, guess what? End up turning into four goals. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, thinking about this logic, you know, of having more, maybe not having a higher faceoff percentage, but almost thinking, let's say you go against a guy who's going 80, no, not 80, but, you know, 60 to 70% against you, but, you know, he's dropping the ball. He's not really creating any offense. And then the guy that's going 40% against you, but he's scoring like two or three goals. You think that guy's more valuable? Absolutely. I mean, you know, an example, we are going back to New Canterian. I mean, my student, he's now Bucknell. He's now the face-off guy, Bucknell, Nick Cravato, uh, his sophomore year lost one face-off. I think it went 19 of 20 or whatever the number was uh, at the face-off X. And we ended up losing the game by three goals. So in that sense, does dominance play a role? No, absolutely not. I mean, you have to be able to capitalize. That's it. And we did not capitalize on those moments. So that's where I say is if you have a guy who's a threat off the play who can, you know, come in and play man, who can play defense, if, he loses or you know can come down and score the ball or make an insane dish and you can score right on the crease count me in that's the guy that i want 
You know, I, I don't care if you can win a hundred percent of the face-off clamps. If you can't pick up the ground ball and you can't physically run with the ball and you turn and you have more than two turnovers a game, I, I, I physically can't work. It, it, it's going to be hard for me to trust you to put you on the field. That was, that's my biggest thing. I need to be able to trust you before I can throw you in the fire. Especially when we talk about leagues that we're playing in, you got, <laughs> you're playing a Georgia a team like Georgetown Prep. You got two poles going to you know a pole going to Maryland and uh, a short stick team hitting going to UNC would just knock you out, you know. And if you can't handle that, they'll capitalize. Yeah, yeah, you're 100 right. So um, you know, as fall ball is continuing in some of the college programs, and you know, you have you heard about what Duke's been doing the uh, outside lacrosse league? I've kind of read into it a little bit. I haven't gone too into depth with it. Obviously, been very busy with kind of fall myself. Um, obviously, you know, you can explain a little bit more to me. What, what were they doing? So uh, coach Janowski, he uh, split the team into, uh, he split the team into two, uh, two different teams mm-hmm. and the two captains were considered like the owner of the white team and the blue team. And so the owners, uh, whoever the captains were nominated the head coach an offensive coordinator and a GM for the team. And the same thing for the blue team. And so, every single week on Fridays, they'd play a game. And so they'd keep track. I think it's still going on, but there was trades you were able to do. And it was a real, it was a real, it was a, it was almost like playing a real league, but you know, just two teams. So cool. Yeah, it's really cool. So I was going to, so I was going to ask you, you know, what have you heard about like face facing off right now, how the faceoffs have been going on, um, you know, just in the college game with these small little scrimmages going on between each other's teams. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think, you know, when I talk to a lot of my college students right now, um, the biggest thing that they're saying is on top of doing these scrimmages, they're doing, you know, with their respective face-off coaches at their respective schools, they're doing probably two to three hours every other day outside of their practice with face-offs just because of COVID right now, things have slowed down. Typically these guys are going to go every day, at the face-off position, but just because of the precautions, they haven't been able to go seven days a week. Um, so obviously just for them to get, you know, any time in realistically is, is very special and very great. Um, so, but when I speak to a lot of these coaches, you know, obviously they've been capitalizing on scrimmages, a lot, a lot, a lot of scrimmage play. And, you know, obviously the face-off guys have been adjusting to it. It's been different. Um, but, you know, like I said, guys that are going to work hard, have already kind of found their group. I mean, I can't sit here and say, you know, who's the best right now. I mean, I have some ideas as to who could potentially be very good at it, athletic athlete wise. Um, but you know, it, it, it's it's going to be exciting to see. You know, hopeful that we have a season. Knock on wood. You know, it's going to be very exciting to see how this whole stand-up neutral face-off plays out. After watching a full fall of it in high very competitive high school lacrosse. It, it, it impressed me. It impressed me personally. And I, I love the switch. I was all for it to begin with. I, a lot of people were kind of like, you're crazy. That's so stupid. I was like, ah, no, I think it's amazing. I think it's going to be better. And it has been. It's been great. Mm-hmm. You know, just like you said earlier, like touching on it again, you know, like making sure that like uh, face-off guys are able to play. I think it's great for face-off guys too because, you know, they never really get their chance to go play on the field, especially if you're a guy with good stick skills and you want to be – your team wants you to like just like 
you want to hold your own stamina, make sure like they don't tire you out for the rest of the game. I think it's great for faceoff guys that they get to do that, like they get to play more than just the uh, more than just running off the X right after the faceoffs blown. So, do you think that's uh, do you think that's also a plus for this? Like, just for the I think kids it is. as well. I think I think it's good. You know, I think that. I mean, look, I didn't. I was the, a fogo in high school, um, and the biggest thing that I regret about it was you'd be on the field for eight seconds and then you're off. Obviously, like when it all adds in, you're on the field for maybe three to five minutes. So it's not as rewarding, you know. Now, you know, I play in men's leagues. I play box lacrosse. It's a lot more fun, obviously, playing the field, scoring goals, dishing some apples out, and, you know, getting your team involved. That's a little bit more exciting, and that's always been my mentality. And, you know, even when I was at Manhattan, yeah, I mean, Greta, I was not a good midfielder at all. I was quite terrible. Um, but I was very good at my technique. Um, but I still managed to make sure that I was able to catch and throw, right? I was able to pick up ground balls. I was able to play. I was able to run through poles. I can dodge. So I made that a priority. And that's always been the way that I kind of just went about it. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So um, do you think we'll still see in this, up, hopefully, this hopeful college, uh, college season coming up, do you think we'll still see uh, the same dominant face-off guys we've seen in the past? I don't think so. I think that there's a lot of hidden gems out there that are going to kind of pop out that we didn't, that we've never really heard of before. Um, you know, working with a few guys down here, working with a few guys up north, hearing some stories at some places and who's been doing well in scrimmages there's going to be some few curveballs out there. Um, I personally think that, you know, knowing that PD Erlin and his worker, I don't know him personally, but knowing his work ethic and, you know, the type of kid he is and how successful he's been, I'm sure that he will find a way to sneak his way back into the top three for sure, uh, for percentage-wise. Um, but I think that, you know, guys like, you know, Gerard Arceri, Kyle Gallagher, the more technicians of the world kind of find themselves at an interesting point here, you know, that they're going to have to really work because these have been guys who have dominated the knee down position for as long as I can remember. I mean, growing up on Long Island, I knew that I've heard, of, I heard of these kids when they were in, you know, sixth and seventh grade. That's how talented these guys were. I mean, they were rock stars. Um, and now obviously it shows them dominating the collegiate level. So am I saying that those guys won't be successful? Absolutely not. That's not at all what I'm saying. But I think that for the traditional technician, it's going to be a little bit tougher for those guys to adjust if they can't, you know, get used to that standing neutral grip. Yeah. So like you said, uh, diamonds in the rough, hidden gems. Who do you think could be a couple of guys in the uh, collegiate level that could be uh, standouts this year? Absolutely. Um I'm just one off the top of my head, you know, working with one guy down here who I've seen is Andrew Tyre in North Carolina. I mean, he's a long, lanky athlete. He's just a great hand speed. He's more than just a face-off guy. You know, he's come to a bunch of my sessions. He's been doing great at it. Um, you know, I think that, you know, this is a tough one, but obviously not being biased, but my kid at Bucknell, Nick Cravato, who's my student in New Canaan, um, you know, prior to me down, I always thought that he was better at standing up when he was at New when he was at uh, 
when he was at New Canaan. Um, when we went into some of our bigger games, we had him stand up, and he actually did very well going up against guys like Bailey Savio and Kyle Gallagher when he was at St. Anthony's. Um, you know, so going up against guys like that, we had to have him stand up because it wouldn't last a chance with those guys knee down at the time when he was a sophomore. Those guys were seniors. Um, but, you know, I think a kid like that who was kind of in the middle of, you know, the 50% season at Bucknell, 55% season, I think he might, as the athlete he is, he might take off. I think it'll be very exciting to see him and, you know, Andrew Tyre potentially have a breakout season this year. You think you can name one more guy, you think? Or you think you can name one more guy? Hmm. He's just thinking off the top. I mean, I think a guy like Zach Cole, too, St. Joe's, he's an unbelievable athlete. I mean, I know he's already kind of been known. He hasn't been on the scene for very long. This was kind of his first year of pure dominance. I think he's going to continue to roll. I think the kid's just an unbelievable athlete. He's got that Philly fight in him, you know. He's, he's just a dog. That's just the best way to put it out there. He's a dog, and he's going to get the job done, I think, in my opinion, too. So would you say maybe – the guys that, like, you know, the typical face-off guy is usually like a smaller, very built, compact guy. Uh, you might, do you think you might see a difference in, like, the more taller, not as bulky guys being uh, a little bit more dominant this year? I think it's, it doesn't really depend on body size, in my opinion. Like I said to you before, I think it really it's really going to depend on how you can defend your losses and what you do post-whistle with the ball now because there's going to be a lot, and from what I've seen, a lot of ground balls. A lot of ground balls this year, lot or this fall, I should say. Uh, nothing, you know, obviously there was a lot of clean wins, but they were on the ground. You know, a lot of players got used to scooping up ground balls, and I think that's an essential of the game that was lost. And let's be real, ground balls win games. I know it's the, <laughs> I know it's the oldest coach's statement in the game, but ground balls do win games. I mean, if you're coming up with 25, 30-plus ground balls a game, you're most likely winning that game. You're going you're gonna to do very well. I think the stat is every 3.2 ground balls leads to a goal. So, you know, was it 30 ground balls a game, 10 goals right there. Exactly. Coach Santos, thank you again for coming on Loader High Podcast. You know, just discussing, uh, discussing the new recent face-off changes, you know, talking about your time at uh, New Canaan. And uh, wish you the best of luck for this uh, hopefully upcoming season at St. Albans. And I wish you, the, uh, wish you well. Yeah, absolutely, Paul. Thank you so much for having me on Loda High. It's great to be here, and it was great talking with you. Absolutely. Take care, Matt.